Hello and welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 11, recorded on July 23rd, 2017, and I'm Chris. And I'm Char. Hey Joe, it's good to be back with you. And I should say, right off the top here, thank you to Mr. Ryan Sipes for uh, filling in last week. Joe, we have so many things to get into. Why don't we start with the death of what was surely the next big desktop OS? <laughs> Remix OS. A desktop version of Android. Is it the death of it? That's the question. It's the death of it as we know it. So it was made by a company called Jide, who had a couple of Kickstarters for a tablet and then a mini desktop PC. I've actually got that, the Remix Mini, the desktop PC. Really? What do you think of it? I think that it was okay, but then they abandoned it like all Android OEMs do. Ah. <laughs> which is often not their fault because it's down to the components inside it get abandoned by you know the upstream hardware manufacturers so there's not a lot they can do really but it's it's an interesting concept but i just feel that it never really took off did it this idea of android with a panel and floating windows that you can resize yeah so their whole their whole approach here was you could take android x86 toss it on a laptop or something like that of your choice and run android applications in windowed mode with a menued launcher and uh, they did several kickstarters in fact uh, some backers are still waiting for their product but we'll talk about that more in a, just a moment uh, but here's what they discovered they built some of these consumer products they got them in the hands of some consumers and an interesting customer came knocking, the enterprise. And they say that over the past year, they've received an increasing number of inquiries from enterprises in various industries and began helping them build great tools for their organizations by leveraging Jide software and hardware. What does that mean? What do you think? Read between the lines on that. What Can you seriously expect enterprise to move away from Windows to an Android-based OS? I didn't, I didn't take it as that. So I've had an interesting realization while traveling recently to Montana and having a few conversations with people at the campsites and also with my trip to Dell. There is really cool future tech in these enterprises in really weird ways. Like often like in the common areas, in the cafeteria, for example, at Dell, they have a Linux-powered automated barista robot thing that you go up there, you order it from your smartphone, and then it just delivers you a robot, makes you a perfect cup of coffee, and delivers it to you. Um, at uh, Pixar, everything you buy everything with your badge, and it's been that way for a decade. Payment, wireless tap payment, has been available in cafeterias, in enterprises for a decade, and we're just now getting it here in the States as consumers. And all of these different devices are powered by different types of operating systems. And I could see different enterprises that would need particular types of handheld devices or dedicated machines that are very uh, purpose-built that they would contract to Jide. Jide would do that work for them and deliver a product and then maintain it for a, for a maintenance fee. And it's going to be way more profitable the, than the consumer space. If I was, like if Jide hired Chris, the consultant, and I came in there to advise them, I would tell them, focus on businesses. This is where you're going to make your money. So what you're saying to me is that They've proven that they can take Android and make it into a desktop OS. And in that same way, they can take it and turn it into whatever you want, not necessarily a desktop OS, and probably almost definitely not. It would be having some sort of custom interface to do a certain job. Yeah, and it could even be things that are you know just purpose-built for a large conference setup or a hotel 
that wants to have a smart controller in the room and or or you know they want to revamp all of their business centers with a branded desktop experience you could see all kinds of uses for something like this and they say as a result they're going to restructure their business and transition away from the consumer space as a result all development on existing products such as remix os for pcs as well as products in the pipeline such as remix io and the io plus will be discontinued which were successfully funded i think yeah and if you did fund it, then you're going to get a refund, they promise. Which I think now we've had this discussion, I, th- I feel more confident that people will get their refunds because now it's kind of all fallen into place for me. Maybe they did this Remix OS thing to prove that they had the software engineering chops to do something decent. And maybe their long-term goal wasn't necessarily to do desktop only with Android. It was basically to prove that they can compete with, because there are a ton of other companies out there who can take Android and customize it and maybe even make just a completely bespoke OS for what is essentially, well, it's not really internet of things, but it's certainly embedded devices. And, And maybe that's what this whole thing's been about for them, just making a big name for themselves. It's either that, Joe, or they realized which way the wind was blowing pretty quick and somebody savvy said, we got to pivot, quote unquote, and uh, make this move to survive. And they're just, they're executing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's what it's about. However, despite all of this, from the ashes rises Phoenix OS. Uh, I actually don't think this is too new. This has been sort of a competitor that's been brewing for a little while. It's kind of a boost for them. Yeah, well, this is a Chinese distro, which is very Chinese when you look at it. The thing about Remix OS was that it, uh, although Jai, a Chinese company, I think, it was a very generic, um, almost stock Android feeling OS that had the Play Store for a while, and then they kind of had to rip that out, but you could put it back in. Hmm. Whereas Phoenix OS is very much for the Chinese market, I think. You can boot it up into an English mode, but it's a lot of the applications are their names for them are Chinese characters and it it doesn't have the play store and it's ostensibly similar to remix OS, but it it just feels very much not for the Western market to me. They've just recently released Phoenix OS 2.1, which includes not only a bunch of bug fixes and hardware compatibility, but they've also now included an updated keyboard mapping feature, which will help you position these windowed, touchscreen applications around your screen without actually having to raise your hand from the keyboard up to the screen. That's a solid feature. You look at it just from a screenshot perspective, Joe, and I swear at really first glance, it almost looks like Windows 10 with a classic Windows theme. Yeah, that's that's reasonably fair. Kind of Windows 10 meets Chrome OS, I suppose. Mm, yeah. Uh, and so I tried to give this a pretty solid go. I wanted to just sort of kick the tires and get an idea of what it was like because it it crossed my mind. If I could put this on a machine where I could get hardware acceleration, maybe I could install a couple of Android games on my laptop. So I have the Dell XPS 13. I tried to load it on the Dell XPS 13 with both UEFI turned on, secure boot was off, and in legacy boot mode, couldn't get it to load. I tried to load it in VMware and in VirtualBox, couldn't get it to load the graphical environment. I got it to boot, couldn't get to load the graphical environment. Tried it on a Dell Precision laptop. (laughs) Same story. Legacy mode, UEFI, didn't matter, wouldn't even boot on the system. So I tried it across several pieces of hardware, 
and I was just sort of left underwhelmed. Were you able to get it going? Yeah, so I tried downloading the ISO first. That's what I did, yeah. Yeah, that I DD'd it to a stick, and it just didn't work, basically. So okay. I thought, mm, okay, so the other alternative is uh, they've got a large EXE, which is essentially the ISO with a bit of Windows software that will install it to... It's it's weird. So I, I've got a Windows 7. I've got a few Windows partitions lying around on various machines. And so I chucked it on Windows 7. And what it does is it basically adds it to the Windows boot list. I don't know. It's, I don't know enough about Windows to to know exactly how it works. But it's the equivalent of Grub within Windows. Yeah, like your um, boot INI file is how it used to be in Windows, at least. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's that's kind of it. And so you have to boot from Grub into Windows, and then you've got the choice of either windows or phoenix os and that worked well it kind of worked but it wouldn't get the video mode right because the box i was doing it on was my projector which is uh i've ever told you about that it's pretty sweet my gigabyte bricks projector you have a machine hooked up to a projector (laughs) no no it's the machine is a projector so it's a gigabyte bricks right which is basically an intel NUC ripoff right so it's an i3 uh it came as an i3 bare bones i just put four gigs of ram in it and a small ssd um and so you can plug it in with hdmi and it's just a regular desktop pc but it's got a built-in projector and so uh it's pretty low res is the only thing it's a pico projector and so you can run that totally independently uh, so you can project what you've the operating system that you're running on there but that because it's quite low res and the screen that i plugged into was 1080p it kind of um confused it a little bit so that didn't work out but uh, you can make a USB stick out of the uh, EXE as well, which I did. And then I booted that on my main test laptop, and that worked absolutely fine. How does it look? Does it does it perform okay? Like, what was your takeaway? Well, I only had a little bit of time to look at it. But yeah, it's it's pretty um, pretty solid. It works pretty well, as, as you'd expect. I mean, I've got a fair amount of experience with Android x86, which, of course, is is similar to it, but is just a standard touch interface, which is not well suited to keyboard and mouse at all so this is just feels similar performance wise but it didn't have the play store so i couldn't really check out many of the apps that i'm used to it just kind of Mm -hmm. has their built-in ones well you could always enjoy f droid i suppose yeah yeah i should do that really um as i said on late night linux recently i'm a bit over it really the the whole android as a desktop I just think that it had its chance and yeah. the, the applications that you can run on it just haven't really um, delivered. Yeah, this is, how I, this is how I feel as well. That's why you need to strap it to your face. If you're a Google Enterprise partner, they have a second iteration that they're beginning to sell right now. They say they have tested and deployed across many factories in the United States by companies such as Boeing, GE, DHL. And while I was in Montana... Sitting right next to me at the very moment, Mr. Noah Chalaya got an invitation to join the Google Glass Enterprise program, and he signed up immediately. So there you go, Joe. Maybe you just need to strap it to your face. Yeah, good thinking. (laughs) This is a real interesting one, man, because Google Glass, I went to an event in London. It must have been four years ago, maybe five years ago, where they were displaying it, and you could try it out and stuff. And I thought, yeah, this is really cool. And then... You you go to buy it and it was a thousand pounds. I was like, whoa! If this was like a hundred and fifty pounds, maybe I'd be thinking about it because it was it felt very beta. Yeah. Um, and so then it just didn't do very well and it it seemingly died. 
And then do you recall, it must be a month or two months ago, there was a story that these Google Glass sets, uh, I don't know, devices, I suppose you'd say, had received an update. Yeah, yeah, I think it was back in March, there was an NPR report, and then Wired recently just wrote about it. So there's been some rumors about it, but it, it has shifted because that was testing, and now they're actually emailing former Google Glass customers and saying, come one, come all, come buy the new Google Glass, but first talk to us for the price. So when I was sitting next to Noah, he's sitting there signing up, becoming a Google Enterprise partner, and through all of this process, he still was not told what the price of Google Glass was. (laughs) They're going to contact him. But they say they've made major upgrades from the original one. The Enterprise has a much better camera. It's an 8 megapixel from 5 now. They've improved the battery life. They put faster Wi-Fi chips in there, a better processor, and they've added a recording video light that all of you guys are going to have to figure out how to hack off that turns on (laughs) when you're recording video. Google also says that they have made the electronics modular, and they've created a so-called glass pod, which can be detached and then reattached to glass-compatible frames, so maybe more stylish frames or maybe protective lenses, depending on the application. And uh, they say that uh, they'll be easier to work with, like prescription lenses as well, which makes a ton of sense. And they're all in. They've went out of their way. The project lead said this is not an experiment. It was an experiment three years ago. This is now full-on production with our customers and our partners. Hoorah. I have that part. (laughs) Yeah, this is a real surprise to me. It turns out they've been working on this for at least a couple of years and testing it in various factories and and enterprises. And and that suddenly makes sense, doesn't it? Because the idea of it as a consumer product, it just it was never going to take off. But you suddenly put it in this industrial application where people are making things in factories. The, the example in this wide article was uh, airplane parts factory. And usually, or before they got this, they had to reference laptops or paper or whatever. And it was it really slowing them down. Whereas this has just made them so much more efficient to be able to pull up either through touch or voice. The, the various instructions for the next bit that they need to do. And it just suddenly makes so much more sense, doesn't it? And for consumers, there is still some practicality to it, but I, I bet Google's going to let other people dabble in that. There's some implications here about hardware partners, so we may see other manifestations of Google Glass, but right now what they're targeting as a direct sale, I agree, Joe, makes a ton of sense, especially if you can build apps for this thing that are purpose-built for your business it, it could kind of be obvious at that point. Can you believe that we're sitting here talking about Google Glass in 2017? I didn't expect it. Yeah, I, I, although in some ways it seems like they were a little bit ahead of the game because now AR is all the rage. Yeah, that's true. And this is a very lightweight version of that. Instead of having a huge headset over you, it's just, you know, in the corner of your eye. I mean, I presume you've checked out Noah's one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he'd tell you that the most useful feature is actually the ability to take a quick picture of stuff. He uses it as his digital memory because he has the memory of a goldfish. He'd be the first person to tell you that. So he can take pictures of stuff and then combines it with Google Photos, has it uploaded to Google Photos. And then two days later when he needs to remember, he's just, oh, I think... I think it was a red box. And so he says, this is this is a conversation we had. He'll just go type in red box into Google Photos and all of the red boxes show up. And oh yeah, that's the thing I was trying to remember. There it is. And for him, that was, he described it as this. That made it so that there, he, he genuinely, because he hasn't used Google Glass now for months, he genuinely feels that there was a time in his life before Google Glass and after Google Glass because it made such an improvement in his productivity 
I don't know if that's true or not. I, I have not experienced that level of improvement with any, with Google Glass when I tried it, but I tried it for a very limited amount of time. He was so he was so on board that he immediately signed up to get the new version. Yeah. Well, this is not the last we're going to be hearing of this, I don't think. And I think we're going to be talking about it um, over the months and years ahead. I agree. Something we might be talking about a lot less very soon. In fact, sooner than I think either you or I thought even is Firefox. This is a devastating piece that was posted by the former CTO of Mozilla, sort of a follow-up piece to something we've covered before. And when I read through this, my heart sank a little bit. Yeah, the the previous piece was called Chrome One, I think, or Chrome was One, and it basically analyzed some data by StatCounter that was very damning of uh, Firefox in terms of user numbers. And this is a follow-up piece where he's actually looked at some of the data from Mozilla, their public data, and it really does not look good. The the If you look at the chart of it, it's kind of just very much a downward spiral. And I think what's most interesting about this is not, I mean, we all knew that Firefox was tanking in terms of user numbers, but it's why, and it's when he goes into the why of it, and he posts some screenshots here of people using Google products like Gmail, YouTube, uh, even Google Search and Google Calendar, and just constant nags to install Chrome. Yeah, I've seen it. You've seen it probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and no thanks. Stop telling me about this. And that's that's what I always say, but it's free advertising. It's It's probably hundreds of millions of dollars worth of free advertising for their browser. It's really invaluable because they don't offer that advertising space to anyone else because it's the very top of their most premium products like Gmail and YouTube and Google Docs and Google Calendar. That's they, they don't sell ads in that space. It's it's literally invaluable space. Yeah. Yeah, and well, the the guy who I set up a laptop for, he's quite old. Um and then I go back there, uh, you know, this, I set him up an XP machine, basically, and he do, he's been used to using uh, Internet Explorer, so I just thought, well, let's not rock the boat. Set him up with that. I, I go back a few months later, and he's using Chrome. I said, how come you're using Chrome? He said, oh, I just thought it was an update. Interesting. Obviously, this had happened to him. It had popped up. Hey, up, upgrade. They use words like that. Upgrade to Chrome. Improve your experience. Watch YouTube. Get special offline Google Calendar access. Yeah, to to get Calendar offline, upgrade to Chrome. And so that that kind of language to an inexperienced user, if they've been had it drummed into them by someone technical like me, always do your updates, always do upgrades. Then they're just going to instinctively do it, and that's why it's they've driven this massive adoption to Chrome. Yeah. Yep. You're right. And and really to drive this point home, just look at uh, the the data from the last year. Firefox has lost 16 million installs in the last year. 22% fewer Firefox desktop installs are active today than a year ago. And what's kind of ironic about that, and this post also makes this point, is that the last year has seen some of the most innovative, interesting development technically, in Firefox's history for years. So while Firefox is making changes that are, from an engineering standpoint, some of their best work in in years, their usage is continuing to decline. Well, they just can't compete, can they? It's, it's not an even playing field is the, the bottom line. And that's when you get things like EU competition laws coming into place. And I, I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, I'm reasonably libertarian, 
in in as far as you don't have to use Google services and therefore you don't have to be advertised to for the other Google products and, and getting them, I, sh- I probably shouldn't get too political like this, but th- this idea of them being penalized for promoting their own shopping services on their own search engine, well, you know, use Yahoo or use Bing, you know, if, if that's a problem <laughs> to you. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. But, you know, you also have to look at this position that Firefox is in. It's not an engineering problem. This is clearly not because in some ways they're they're getting they're really cleaning up their their past engineering issues. Yeah. It is truly a market disruption problem. It's a desktop to mobile shift and it's a Google monopoly problem with their monopoly on search. There's literally no engineering solution that Firefox can come up with to fix this issue. This is a huge problem because Google needs to grow. As a publicly traded company, they're going to continue to have to grow, and the web is becoming more and more stagnant, and they have to leverage their unique platforms to sell their own products. It's their only option for growth at this point, and it's too tempting for them to refuse. So there's really nothing that can be done because they're always going to find a way to do this, regardless of what the EU does or anybody else. And the thing is, is this isn't like the days of IE. Google's still hungry. Google still wants to push the web forward, so they continue to advance Chrome at a breakneck pace. And that's not like when when Firefox first came around and IE was dominant. It was stagnant, and Microsoft wasn't being competitive. But Chrome is not standing still, and Google is active in the web standards bodies, and they're actively integrating technologies that they believe in into Chrome and pushing that across their widely used platforms. That's not the same landscape that Firefox came into. It's a totally different competitor now, and it's one that has literally the home field advantage. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to sign up for a free seven-day trial and support Linux Action News and learn more about Linux. It's a super great platform built by Linux enthusiasts with all kinds of features built in that Linux users would expect. Hands-on labs with scenario-based training, servers that spin up on demand when you need them. You pre-select the distribution you want for the courseware, and the server that spins up will match that selection, and then you just SSH in and work on the command line in a scenario-based lab. That's great when you're learning AWS, too. If you're busy, they have a course scheduler that lets you stick to a time frame and works with you to find content, and they have learning paths if you want to go deep into something specifically. And my favorite feature, instructor mentoring, real human beings whenever you need it. There's so much more. Just go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to sign up for a free seven-day trial and support this show. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Now, someone who seems to come up almost every week on this show is Alan Pope, or Popey as he's better known, friend of the show. And this week he's posted on his blog, the Ubuntu Artful Desktop July Shakedown. And so this is encouraging people to download the daily images of 1710 and test them and report bugs because it's halfway through the cycle now. I can't believe that it, we're halfway to the 1710 release. And obviously this is a, a major release in terms of it's got a whole new desktop. Ubuntu's moving over to GNOME now instead of Unity. And so there's a lot to test. And interestingly, he's not saying you should do what they call the, the full ISO testing, which is really, really involved. This is more... 
user-friendly, I suppose. This is more... Day-to-day. Yeah. He's looking for people to say, log in and try using Ubuntu on Wayland sessions for normal day-to-day activities and file bugs. Check out Suspend and Resume. Make sure everything still works as you expect it. You know, try out external network cards and uh, dongles and maybe external displays. Uh, Connect Bluetooth devices. They've done a lot of work on Bluetooth and uh, try out some of that stuff and see that everything works as expected. You know, just really kind of the stuff that impacts your day-to-day use of the desktop. Yeah, I really want to test that Bluetooth stuff because I can't be alone here. Bluetooth in Linux is just a disaster. I use Bluetooth every day with my phone because I have a little receiver, I suppose you'd call it. It's got a mic on it as well. It's not Bluetooth headphones. that You plug your headphones into this little square Sony thing. And I use it every day for listening to podcasts and music and when I'm driving to make phone calls and stuff like that. But on a Linux desktop, forget about it. It just seems to never work. Or if it does work, it'll work for a bit and then just drop out. I have a Bluetooth speaker that I can only get to work the first time I've paired it. And every time I want it to work after that, I have to delete the pairing and then repair the device as if it were new. And then it will work during that session only. Yeah, and as we know, uh, wired audio is dead. We we live in a, uh, what was it, not brave, uh, what was the word that Apple used for their their decision to drop the headphone jack? But Courageous. That, that is, yeah. Courage. We are moving to that world, aren't we? Where Bluetooth is just so much more convenient. So if Ubuntu can blaze the trail on that, then I really, really hope they can and make it work really well. So I, I'm keen to get testing on this. I've been really busy with work and podcasting, so I haven't done any tests on these uh, latest images yet, but I'll do that this week when I've got some time and uh, hopefully report any bugs that uh, I find and try and make this Bluetooth thing better because I'd like to see other distros and other desktops take advantage of the work that they're doing here. It's long overdue. Yeah. Boy, do I do I agree with that. Uh, this is looking like a massive release. The biggest we've seen in years, years, maybe since 1204, uh, maybe. Yeah. I would really encourage people to take a look at this. Also, I'm just going to give a quick plug to friend of the show, Martin Wimpress. Uh, the Ubuntu Mate spin of 1710, also looking amazing. We could be looking at a series of massively significant releases on the Ubuntu side of things in October. Starting to get a little bit excited about this. Yeah, and that's kind of unusual because normally you'd only really get excited about the LTS releases because that's something you're actually going to use long term, whereas you're only going to use the 1710 release for a few months, but it's going to be so different, isn't it, from the previous one? Yeah. And, and let's face it, since, what, 1404, basically nothing's changed in mainline Ubuntu. I'm really glad they're doing this work now. They're taking big changes and risks right now, so that way when 1804 lands, they've got a lot of this stuff ironed out. And along those lines, Dustin Kirkland of Canonical recently posted an Ubuntu 1804 LTS desktop default application survey and it's been posted in several places around the web trying to get a feel for what people want to see in future releases they say we already have beta code for 17 available for testing but let's look forward a little bit what do you want to see as the default applications in the future yes i filled this in on reddit and i think my answers speak volumes about what i want i said um yeah, Terminal, XFCE4 Terminal, File Manager, <laughs> Thuna. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh, okay. But, well, the question is, what are you using? And that's yeah. what I'm using. What did you say for web browser? Firefox. 
Yeah. There's no point saying Chrome. They can't ship it. Maybe that's why I saw so many Firefox answers. I saw, I would say, the majority of people saying Firefox and then maybe Chromium. Yeah, Chromium, but again, that's not as free as people think. They download stuff in the background. It's, you know, I think really your only option is to ship Firefox and enable people to then install Chrome easily, facilitate it. Yeah, that makes sense. To me, this does, though, feel like uh, old school Ubuntu. Really kind of just getting in with the community and saying, well, what what does it take to make the best Debian desktop? Only now it's, what does it take to make the best Ubuntu desktop? Like They're asking questions that I feel like they were asking a long time ago. They're asking those same questions again. And it's it's going to be interesting to see what the results are because sometimes... Sometimes I, I, you, get, you get results you didn't expect. I honestly expected Chrome or Chromium, and we're seeing a lot of Firefox stuff, but tons of people are saying, file manager, just use Nautilus. They're, like, they're just saying go with the defaults on a lot of this stuff. It's been posted on Hacker News, Reddit, and Slashdot, and we'll also have the official Ubuntu Insights blog post linked in the show notes if you want to give them your answers on the things you'd like to see shipped as default in Ubuntu 18.04. Yeah, and if you don't use Ubuntu, you can always just troll them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. That's a great idea. <laughs> In the meantime, we'd love to have you keep listening to every single episode. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes via your favorite podcast player. And uh, you can also find a video feed if you dig around or go to jupiterbroadcasting.com for all the relevant feeds. Yeah, and go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact for all the various ways to get in touch. And you can support the entire network and all of our future endeavors and get the Patreon-exclusive podcast coming soon at patreon.com slash jupitersignal. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Ressington. And we'll see you next week. See you later. Thank you.